everybody. This is Marcia O'Connor with the O'Connor Group. Welcome to Top 3, where entrepreneurs share their secrets. Today, we have a special guest, Keith Scandone from O3 World. And he is here to talk to us today, not only about his company, how he came up with his name of his company, and where they're going in regards to his entire world. So, Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Keith, I got to go. I am a former recruiter as well and asked the question, you're a poli science major <laughs> and now you have your own business doing completely different. So walk us through what happened there. Uh, it gets way more uh, confusing and convoluted uh, uh, than that and unorthodox. Um, so I was probably a science major because honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Uh, so uh, and, and even more of a, a, a larger diversion of that is after I graduated college, I went to Los Angeles to pursue acting. So I did that. Uh, and when you pursue acting, it's a lot of pursuing and not as much actual acting. So I did, uh, I did acting. I actually... Uh, interviewed celebrities on the red carpet, junkets. Uh, I wrote a play that was produced, and you know, again, a variety of other fun, interesting things. Um, but moved back to the Philadelphia area. I was from Bucks County originally, and uh, I had a background in writing and marketing, uh, to some degree, a lot of the odd jobs that I had done, and just tried to start over, really, and just started to, you know, talking to people, exploring opportunities. Got a job as a consultant at the convention center, doing some marketing work. Then started to work for a small web design development company. Um, and then just one thing led to another. Um, uh, a couple of years after I was back in Philadelphia, uh, I met a couple of guys. One was a you know kind of branding and web design expert. The other one was a developer programmer. And I was sort of the marketing sales accounts. And so you know now, 16 years later, we um, uh, here we are. But we started the company uh, you know, back in 2000, 2005. So 2005, and here we are now, obviously, yeah. 2021. Yeah. This whole program is about the top three. So let's go over some of the things that you have learned, but you also have learned not to do um, to move forward to where we're at today. So let's go over number one. Uh, so number one, I just think perseverance. I mean, you know, nothing in life kind of comes real easy. There are no shortcuts, uh, particularly, I think, when you run a company. Uh, so, and, you know, we went through the 2009 uh, crisis. We uh, are just coming out of COVID. Uh, so lots of, you know, sort of ups and downs and such. And, um, you know, people only see on the outside all the positives, but there's a, there's an uphill climb every single day, every single week, month, year, um, even though the positives always want to outweigh the kind of negatives, um, mm -hmm. you know, so perseverance, I think is a really, really big one. Uh, I think patience kind of they're they're kind of tie hand in hand. Um, uh, you know, you just can't get customers overnight or, or overnight or the customers that you want overnight. Or frankly, even today, we've got some really really great customers, but it's not easy just to say I want that customer because I like what they're doing and I you know I like their brand and I think we could help them. There's a lot of different factors that have to um, uh, that have to come into uh, uh, consideration essentially for them and and you know for for uh, for you as well. Um, and then I think if we're just kind of staying in the in the P alphabet category, uh, I would say perspective. Uh, I think that's a that's a big deal, um, and not not just one yourself. Uh, you have to continue to stay kind of like humble and recognize that even if you're doing well, you're you know always people doing much much better than you as an organization. Um, you're not sort of that big. You still have challenges um, that you're always. Um, uh, there's always the risk that you can kind of lose your reputation or lose your grip in some regard. 
Um, but also you have to have perspective or understand the perspective of employees and clients and vendors and partners and what's going on, uh, competitors, what's going on in the world. So, and again, I think that changes so dramatically, uh, sort of more than ever, particularly in the technology space, which we live in. So I think that's a really, really big um, a piece of it as well. Absolutely. And, and great pieces of advice. The three P's. I love it. Um, but O3 is a digital product agency. It's all professional services. 2009 hits. I don't know about you, but mine is also professional services. And five of my clients called within two weeks time span right before the holidays and said, hey, I'm out of money. I don't need your consultant anymore. Walk me through what was happening with your team. Oh, it was, it was just brutal. It was awful. Uh, closest we ever came to just shutting our doors down. Um, it was really an opportunity to look ourselves as owners uh, uh, in the mirror, but also at each other in the eyes and be like, do we have sort of the stomach to persevere to kind of continue going? Because at that point, we're only a few years in or so. Um, so actually, uh, you know, we, the, the, the 2008 going into 2009, you know, we were struggling with uh, financials. Uh, we were not paying ourselves here and there, um, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um, and always sort of obviously paid the employees first. And that was the most important thing, payroll, bills. Uh, and, and there was a point that we legitimately had no money. We had nowhere to go. We had we had maxed out uh, uh, sort of our line of credits, um, credit cards. Um, again, we, we had not been paying ourselves. so didn't really have a lot to pull from. And we were just uh, maybe a few thousand dollars short of hitting payroll. And just we're sitting in my office at one point, just kind of talking like, what can we do? Where can we go? Um, and my business partner uh, at the time, we started as three people, there's now two of us, uh, was kind of running our finances and was looking at our account and just kind of like refreshing it. I don't know, hoping some sort of godsend. And amazingly, $5,000 all of a sudden appeared in our account. It turned out that, um, particularly at that time, we were providing uh, hosting recommendations for our clients when we were doing uh, websites. And there was a referral program and fee that we got that came through that we had completely forgotten about. And it just hit our account that day, $5,000. I, I mean, honestly, it was when you talk about sort of like a bolt of lightning or something from above or some, you know, uh, something to kind of keep you going. That was really a, an amazing moment. Um, but beyond that, uh, Marsha, I mean, it really, as I said, it made us look at each other. Um, one of our uh, partners, original founders wanted to decided at that point that he wasn't really fully, I don't think invested in this industry or one of this for his career or his life. So it was at that point, um, you know, he either wanted to downsize as an organization or, or kind of get out. And he, he soon, you know, did thereafter. So, you know, through every one of those difficult, um, uh, situations, uh, COVID's no different. You learn a lot. It's really miserable to go through, and I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, but you learn about a lot about yourselves, your business, uh, as you said, your perseverance, um, and if you have the stomach for it, because being an entrepreneur is no easy uh, task uh, at all. So, um, so yeah. So that was that was a little a little snapshot of two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Yeah, I mean, that was almost like serendipity, right? And, um, you know, just out of the blue pops in and you needed it. I'm a big believer. If you tell the universe, I, I need four checks in the mail tomorrow. <laughs> Believe it or not, those four checks do come, but you got to put it out there and, and not be afraid of success. You know, um, it's interesting. So let's talk about your business a little bit. Um, and one thing I want to bring up 
um, before we go into too much detail, we just had a quick conversation before we started about the the name O3. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned how difficult it has been in regards to, you know, um, putting it on marketing materials and getting things for it and all too because of how, how it's O3, right? So walk me through um, a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this are trying to figure out, you know, what should I call my company? And what they don't realize is they get so excited about a name, they don't always forget, they remember the, the implications as to, you know, do you want to repeat that? Do you want to put it on your sweatshirts? Do you want to put it on this? And do you want to have any copyright stuff out there? Because right. it can happen. So what happened to you? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, uh, you know, kind of goes back to the, the other thing that I mentioned about perspective. You know, ideas are only as good as their execution. Uh, and so at that point, when it came to our name, uh, O3 is what we decided on. And we came up with O3 for, um, for a few reasons. One, O3, and it's, it's the letter O with the subscript three. It actually stands for ozone. Uh, and we really did it for, at the time, a couple of reasons. One, we had three partners. And so uh, ozone is made up of three parts oxygen. So three partners. And everything that we did, whether a design, technology, or content, we felt that it was very streamlined, very clean, like oxygen. Um, and so, uh, and then obviously three departments, we were kind of marketing design and technology were three departments. So that's where the O3 came from and the ozone, and this was not the reason, but over time, as you kind of embrace the brand a little bit more, um, ozone, I just think is, is fascinating in and of itself. I mean, ozone, there's, there's good and bad ozone in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously at the, at the kind of ground layer, there's bad ozone, bad for you, but the higher you get up, you know, actually the better it is for the environment and for all of us. So that was something kind of from a competitive standpoint said, you know, we actually have this, we have a uh, very, uh, we have an unknown tagline, uh, it's good up high. And that's actually uh, the ozone part, the good ozone. Uh, now, again, many people, even that work at O3, since we don't leverage it very much, don't even know that exists. Uh, but to your original point about um, while it seems better in uh, idea than it is in gener uh, uh, execution, is that a lot of people think it's zero three world. And so that causes problems um, across the board, as you can imagine. We've got We've gotten checks written out to us zero three, and not just the the number, but actually written out Z E R O three <laughs> world. So that's provided some challenges. Um, you know, we've had to get loans from the bank. They've they've screwed up our paperwork because they put it into zero three instead of O three. Uh, we have both URLs O three world and zero three world. So it is um, it's a name we love, but it is a name that definitely comes with its uh, <laughs> with its challenges, its branding challenges. In fact, we're actually going through a branding exercise right now, um, and we're just finishing up. We should be um, we should be announcing or uh, unveiling, I guess, the new new brand uh, uh, shortly. And it's still O three, but our new um, our new style guide and our new branding has a lot more um, actual. Uh, O's and a lot more threes and a lot more things in a series of threes or a lot more shapes that are around O's. So we're trying to take the brand and sort of expand it out to sort of accelerate and emphasize that it is in fact an O and not a zero. So that's exciting. And I can't wait to see the new new branding, the new logo and all too. So make sure you share it with us of out course. there. Very excited. Yeah. So keep in mind. Now, obviously, being a leading digital product agency, tell us more what that means on the outside. Sure. And actually, our as we, as I said, we're going through a little bit of branding adjustment. That's kind mm -hmm. of part of it. So it might be better to give you a little bit more of a history of where we started and kind of how we transitioned over the time. So when we started, we were a brand communications company. We did um, traditional uh, branding and design, graphic design, and always had a technical component to us. So we were doing 
website development and content management software development. So this is now again, 16 years ago. So this is, we were a little bit ahead of our time, particularly when it came to Philadelphia. And, and because of that, we were often hired by traditional agencies to take on sort of the, uh, the digital side of things. Um, a few years in, we then transitioned uh, over to uh, just a digital agency or an interactive agency. And we really wanted to kind of get away from the branding side of things. We found it was, it was sort of subjective. It was hard to do branding. Um, it turns uh, sort of the other side and clients, it turns into a very subjective thing about whether I like it or not like it. We wanted to focus a little bit more on, on data and, and really wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Instead of a lot of agencies say that we do it all, we wanted to do something and do it very, very well. So at that time, so again, we're, we're going back, you know, uh, roughly, you know, 12, 13 years or something along those lines. It was just larger scale websites, e-commerce websites, customization of the technology and integrations and such. Um, and then we became a digital product agency about 10 years ago. And the idea of that, uh, Marshall, was that we um, really love doing uh, new digital product ideas for startups. Right. But recognize that startups um, often had a flaw in that they had a good idea, again, but they didn't have a runway in execution or marketing or budget. And so what we wanted to do is continue to uh, uh, play that role with clients about creating new digital product concepts or strategy through design and development, but do it for enterprise companies. So that's how we wanted to position ourselves as a digital product company. Also, um, interactive agency, web design, it became a commodity and you could kind of get it you know, for much, much less. And it was hard to differentiate ourselves in the market. Um, and so then even recently as, as you know, late last year or this year, we're actually now a customer experience consultancy or customer experience agency. And so the way to kind of break that down is customer experience is really about all of the touch points that uh, a customer may go through. And that could be digital, like a website, a portal, uh, a chatbot, something along those lines, or it could be through your call center. It could be through a physical store. And so customer experience stands uh, way above sort of um, uh, digital product or digital transformation. Uh, digital is just one of the sort of solutions. It's one of the end solutions that you're providing, but really we're now looking at it at a much uh, higher, high level, more holistic uh, standpoint, understanding how your business works uh, across every single channel, across the omni-channel sort of experience. And even if we're not delivering on maybe everything in store, we still want to know all the different touch points. So really we can automate those processes as much as possible through digital. Which I think is so um, exciting, but I do think a lot of entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know. And I would imagine when you started in 2005, your customer base was probably a lot different than you are now. And walk us through that evolution. Sure. So, you know, I remember the first deal we ever got. Um, it was it was for it was for branding uh, and then uh, so logo design. It was some graphic design and a small website uh, and development for um and, and there's arguments for some people we know about the actual first uh, client, but this is the one I remember. Uh, it's called Gigi, and it was a it was a bar and restaurant in Old City. And uh, I remember actually I sold the project. I believe it was for thirty five hundred dollars. And um, I had given the um, news to my business partners at my one business uh, partner's wedding, and I, we were high fiving. They were so amazed that I could charge that much money for the work that they were doing, sort of on their own before that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was like, you know, walking on cloud nine that I was able to do that. Um, sure. So, but you know, as as you grow over time, number one, you start to understand the market. Maybe like hmm, we should probably be charging a little bit more than we are. 
uh, we were all relatively new to the to the space in some regard. Um, Start to have a little more confidence in your not just process, but uh, your delivery and your services and such. So you, you start to accelerate in that regard, and and also we really wanted to get to a point that we can have real impact uh, within organizations, larger scale organizations, and even websites. And this is kind of why our trajectory went to where it did. A website has it's it, it, it's only one piece of the, of the bigger kind of customer you know experience journey. Now our clients, you know, we've had clients for eight plus years, multiple ones uh, mm -hmm. for, for eight plus years. We're really working with a lot of different part, uh, a lot of different apartments, a lot of different technology challenges, uh, leveraging new kind of innovation and such. It's just the idea of we never we wanted to constantly slightly pivot each year, um, mm -hmm. and we've sort of done that. Even if we've stayed. And we, we've changed, obviously, the, the sort of the branding or the underpinning of our name, as I mentioned a few times, uh, and you know, most recently. But we've always, at the core, been a digital um, agency, a digital shop, digital delivery. We've just been more sophisticated um, uh, in, in our offerings. Obviously, we've expanded as a team. We've grown uh, as a team and created more depth. We're able to just offer a little bit, a little bit more. But it was really always to continue to kind of grow to be a make make an impact on a grander scale. So I certainly am very humbled by those days where we charged $3,000, $5,000 and such, um, uh, and now pass a lot of that work off to other small agencies like ourselves, you know, 15, 16 years ago or so that uh, could really, really use that work and that money means a lot to them. But now, you know, as you know, when you have a, a company of 40 people, $5,000 doesn't go, go too far as for, in terms of payroll. So <laughs> we kind of had to adjust and adapt as well. Yeah, you you do. And, and what year now, from like 2005 now, if you look back, what were the years that you're like, we're really growing? We got this system down now. It's really going. What what years were those? You know what? It wasn't until, um, let me think. I would say it wasn't until about 2000 and really 2010. Um, mm -hmm. So we had finally kind of got out of the um, out of the 2009 kind of crisis and got yep. back on on track. Uh, we had parted ways with our uh, third partner, um, which uh, I think was just better again for, for everyone sort of involved. Um, and I think we were really able to accelerate. And roughly around that time, we moved into new offices. And it was sort of this like uh, level of kind of confidence, that, like, all right, we're moving into a new office. We're going to be a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more grown up in many ways. Mm -hmm. Start to change, again, our underpinning to be a digital product. Um, agency, uh, and it was really at that time, and we really have never kind of looked back. We've grown uh, pretty much in, uh, an average of 20 to 25% or so um, every year. Um, uh, until 2009, we grew about um, uh, 42%. Uh, now, um, COVID obviously uh, disrupted those numbers uh, a little bit, and we kind of took a little bit of a step back. But, um, but really, it was, I, I think at that time, it was around the 2010 timeframe where we, we now had our footing. Um, we now were just down to two partners. We had a more solid direction of where we were going um, and gotten the sort of, you know, small business jitters, uh, you know, got, gotten past that. Uh, so I'd say 2010 is when we really started rolling. And obviously now you have employees, you have obviously, you know, benefits, you have all these different things and all too. You know, what what is next for O3? How and do you have a three, five, ten year plan? Uh I don't say I, I don't. I personally don't really believe in five or ten year plans. Uh, particularly, I mean, COVID is a perfect example. You can take any plan you have, and it can be thrown <laughs> out. Uh, particularly if you're a forty person company, which we are. Yep. Um, so we have like an eighteen month to three year plan for sure. I would say pretty aggressive growth is is number one. When we look at growth, 
it's partly financial, but it's also growing um, potentially to other geographic regions. Um, I think that's an important piece. Now that we have uh, a workforce that is a little more distributed, uh, not just for O3, but the, the world that kind of opens up some unique opportunities for employees um, and, and certainly for clients as well. So we really want to, that's why we're changing over to being a um, customer experience consulting uh, firm. We want to be more on the um, known for the strategy and consulting side and we have, but it's been a little bit more in the shadows. So we're really trying to sell and position ourselves as having a deep uh, level of experience on the business sort of consulting and the business strategy side. And then obviously on the delivery side as well. Um, so really mm -hmm. kind of expanding that and, and, and filling the gaps in the customer experience journey, which is, which is heavier on the consulting, heavier on the data strategy side. Um, so that's really on the services side. And we also started a program uh, a couple of years ago called Ventures. And Ventures was actually an idea to leverage our experience in the digital product space. So instead of building our own product, which we could, but obviously, as you can imagine, takes a lot of funding and a lot of time. And, and, and you know, and obviously you have to have the right product and go to market strategy. What we did is we found, we, we, we've sort of positioned ourselves in Accelerator. So we've actually have three ventures clients uh, right now. Um, one is a company called Irvin, which is an AI agency and they have machine learning product and platform. The other is FanUp, which is an e-gaming and e-sports um, uh, betting platform. And the third is uh, Rec Philly, which is um, sort of like a, they call mm -hmm. it a gym for creative artists. Um, and so we um, and so that's really been a really interesting model because it enables us to uh, uh, enables us to invest some money, but also find a gap in their offering that we can fill a hole in. So whether strategy or maybe it's on the on the urban AI side, maybe they have a great group of developers, but right. they might not have the experience or design side. So we're able to fill that gap. So so I, I, I'd imagine um, solidifying and uh, formalizing that ventures program a little bit more, create a fund around that to get more dollars that we can invest in those and eventually actually probably build out uh, dedicated a dedicated team or dedicated resource to build out those independent uh, businesses and products. It sounds like you definitely have that creator builder behind you because yeah. also you are the proud creator of the business of Innovation Conference 1682. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so before actually 1682, we uh, did this conference called uh, Forge and it was a user experience uh, conference and it ran for three years um, and it was about a 300 person uh, conference. And, you know, we were really getting more and more involved in user experience and thought it was a growing a growing service offering, not just for O3 in the industry, but and, and really wanted to kind of uh, uh, highlight our experience in it, um, but also just put a spotlight on Philadelphia uh, in particular. So we very intentionally actually had one speaker from the Philadelphia area, and it was not us, we didn't take a speaking slot, um, and then had uh, all the other speakers come from uh, outside of the, the area. So California, Seattle, DC, New York, wherever that might be, from all different you know products, agencies, et cetera. And that was successful running for, for three years. Um, so when we took a pause on that for a little bit, and then the, the next one that we, um, that we did was uh, sort of invite only to uh, the Barnes um, uh, Museum, and it was for 1682. When the business of innovation, you know, we all hear about innovation programs quite a bit, and we actually, we have our own little sort of innovation team and labs program that we experiment with new technologies, and we work with a lot of clients that, and, their, and their innovation teams as to either how to build them or how to create new products and ideas. Um, right. Well, you, you hear innovation, it's a very kind of sort of a um, it's a buzz term that's like mm -hmm. probably overused. 
but also you never really hear about the business side of it. So you hear about that we have this innovation program and you hear some of the exciting things that come from it, but you don't hear about the ROI. You don't hear about the mistakes. You don't hear about the, um, the failures essentially and the realities, particularly uh, innovation programs are very, very big in regulated spaces like, um, uh, uh, like healthcare or finance. And so if you have a very regulated space and you take something like innovation now, all of a sudden, that's very disruptive not just in the industry, inside of that company. So the Business of Innovation uh, Conference 1682 was about that. We want to hear people, we want people to talk about the real raw realities of what they were up against and getting the funding internally, of trying to get the buy-in internally and roll things out. So we, we made it clear to everyone that spoke that day that this would not be recorded, it would not be shared because there was things that they would probably not want shared. So that's yeah. also why it was, um, uh, invite only and very, very intimate. So it's just another way for us to kind of share not just our knowledge, but our connection of a lot of different people, whether it's our clients or people in the space. So we can kind of look at, you know, um, a more unique and disruptive way of looking at the the world and, and, and obviously the sort of industry and the services that, that we're providing. So do you still have the innovation conference? It was actually only meant to be one year. Mm -hmm. um, now, will we eventually do it again? Perhaps uh, we might do it again. It was, you know, very, very successful. Um, and or it might be something else. You know, it, it was that was sort of a I like to call it that's like a side hustle for us. Yeah, like, sure. Uh, we didn't we made no money on it whatsoever. Um, but it was a it was a fun thing to do. It's a way just like ventures and just mm -hmm. like this. It's a way to differentiate ourselves. I never really wanted to look at ourselves as just an agency or just a service partner. Yeah. We're looking for different ways to differentiate ourselves. And, and I think as you, you pointed out, uh, uh, Marsha, I am a builder, I'm sort of an innovator, I'm creative you know, in my own right. This is also kind of the background of the, of the actor in me or the, the artist in me or the writer in me. Uh, I like creating new things and finding new ways and perspectives that uh, to people to look at ourselves, our brand, our growth strategies, and how people may look at us in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So it's more kind of opportunistic than very specific. So going back to your five, 10 year strategy uh, concept, I do have broader plans. Uh, we have broader plans and certainly financial plans, but in terms of exactly how we get there, like I said, I, I like to keep it somewhat malleable yeah. Um, because I want to be able to kind of pivot and be nimble. I think that's one of the things that's always kind of separated us in the marketplace. Oh, absolutely. Now, one of the things I want to go into is like you mentioned three partners. That's hard. And, you know, I, I it is just me. I'm the only partner. It's a little easier to make decisions and all, too. But I know a lot of entrepreneurs have a partner and, mm -hmm. and sometimes that gets sticky. Right. So how have you guys worked so well together all this this time frame? And what's the secret sauce there? Um, there is, uh, they're saying, find my partner. He's taking off for the day. Uh, <laughs> um, so listen, I, a business partnerships are just like marriage. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of compromise and you have to kind of recognize, um, you know, who's good at what things, who's going to take on what responsibilities. So I think one of the good things that, that, that's really benefited us, first of all, you have to have a shared philosophy and mindset. And so uh, obviously I think like a, um, a moral compass and ethics and, and, and philosophy starts there. I mean, if you don't have, if you're not aligned in that regard, you're going to be in big trouble because everything comes down to that. <laughs> you always are going to have that difficult decision where you're going to have to make some strong ethic calls. So you yep. have to just start there. Um, trust obviously is a really, really big thing. Um, and they're sort of tied together, but you need to trust the people. And, and I've really trusted both partners quite a bit. And even though, we mutually agreed to part ways with the other partner. I mean, great, great guy then, great guy today. Um, it just wasn't a fit at that time for him kind of going forward. 
So um, I think that you know my business partner and I, one of the reasons for uh, success is that, like I said, we're very similar in the sense we're kind of type A and that we have similar goals and we're hardworking um, and we want really, really good things for ourselves and ourselves and our, our team around us and the community and the industry and our clients. Um, but we have different skill sets. Uh, you know, I'm more on sort of the, uh, uh, the account side, the business development side, maybe the marketing side, and he's more on the, um, internal kind of strategy and client, um, uh, and, um, um, and working with our delivery team, the design team and the development team, the technology team. So he's, uh, so I'm, I'm a probably a little more big picture in terms of vision for the organization and some of the connections I have relationship building but he's way brighter than me when it comes to actually delivering the work and, and selling sort of what we do in a much more kind of meaningful way. So with that, it just kind of opens some natural, um, you know, sort of lanes, some swim lanes uh, that we keep each other abreast of, of everything. And we talk, you know, probably every single day, but I have some of the more operational and accounts pieces that kind of report up to me. And he's more sort of on the, um, on the strategy and delivery side. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's one thing I've learned now during this 14 years is know what you're not good at and yeah. then hire that kind of person. So uh, yep, yep. I think a lot of entrepreneurs want to do it all and you can't do it all and you're never going to grow and scale if you think you're going to do it all. Yep. So it's definitely interesting. What kind of clients do you look for now that are like your best bread and butters? So unlike most agencies, actually, we've always had a lot of success in professional services um, versus sort of consumer goods. Now we have worked with higher ed, nonprofit, uh, you know, consumer retail, um, professional services, but you know, some of our, our largest clients are like SEI and Vertex, um, CHOP, um, which is obviously more in the healthcare space, uh, Karen Treatment Centers, which is in the in, in sort of the, the treatment and, and kind of healthcare space. Uh, but, you know, really looking, and the reason I say that is a couple of things. Number one, I found, and this is a, a generalization, this does not exist entirely, but I think that um, professional services companies uh, are used to really, really stepping back and understanding that things move slowly mm. uh, and that you need to take several steps back in order to take steps forward. And so we like, we need to do a pretty intensive discovery and strategy session to understand all the players, understand their market, understand their differentiation, et cetera. So before you're able to really kind of deliver and you know collect a lot of data, and not only just collecting data they have, but then creating the touch points to create more data to then obviously make decisions. I find that you know kind of consumer goods and retail, they're a little bit more frantic. I think that they have to um, uh, they have to make decisions. They're more like campaign focused. I, I, you know, and again, I'm making a generalization. It's not, it's not across the board, but they're more campaign focused. Like I want to, you know, see, I want to see something like in a, in a month, I want to see something in two months. I want to see a return in three months. Um, and they're also very focused on the design element and design is only as good as the functionality. I mean, you can have a beautiful car with a really crappy engine and it's not going to run very well. Um, so, and I think that, I think that very kind of, uh, you know, popular brands, they get kind of caught up on on the veneer, what it looks like on the outside versus like kind of like maybe what it feels like or how it functions on the inside. And the work that we do, um, Marsha, is not always like the coolest or sexiest work. It's the most, I think, ultimately productive for the organization to be much more efficient and some good creative design choices come out of it. But it's not just something flashy and cool that we kind of throw up. Um, so, uh, so I think that that's what we've, we've lent towards um, an ideal customer for us 
would be something like a Patagonia. And the reason I say that is just because Patagonia is a really, I mean, I, I'm an outdoor enthusiast myself, so I love what they, I love the, the brand that they have and, and the, the products that they produce and what they yeah. put out in the world. They're also obviously very environmentally and very socially conscious, which, which yep. means a lot uh, to me and to us. Um, and, uh, and they also do some great digital work. I mean, they might be so far along that they might not need someone like us, but I look at them as someone like either uh, like that kind of a brand and that kind of uh, mindset and the importance of kind of having a real full kind of, uh, you know, customer uh, journey take, taken into consideration and appreciation, appreciation for that. Um, and I'd say probably one of the most important characteristics for any client we work with is you have to be open-minded and progressive um, or willing to be progressive. Um, just like you said with an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs need to be coachable um, mm -hmm. and clients do too. Uh, I've always looked at our relationship with clients as kind of like a 51-49% partnership. Obviously, they're 51 because they, they have options and they're paying us, but it really should be a partnership. I mean, they should trust us or any really kind of agency that you work with to challenge your, your thoughts and how things have been done in the past and, and open to doing you know, new things. So I think open-minded and progressive um, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of humble and, and fair and respectful and such are, are really kind of more of the important characteristics. It's more the people and the company that is and, and what their ethos is about. Yep. But, you know, we can do great work for and have for, you know, a lot of different industries. I think you hit a magic word, coachable. And, you know, I don't typically go into um, work with a client unless I know they're coachable, because then why do you need us if you're not going to listen to us? And I think with professional services in particular, they usually want resources out there to help them become better. But there's so many of them that are not coachable, which I just blow my mind away because you're wasting money. So you, you want to be willing to learn and listen um, to get better. Now, going past your past, uh, past year was really tough. I know everybody, you know, too. And I always see professional services and all too. What would you say to other entrepreneurs going through a year we just went through that said, if I could do it over, I would have done this and this. What would that be? Well, what have I done differently? Yep. Uh, crawled into a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Quit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, you know, I tried to say, to a lot of people, my staff and other people, uh, whether I'm mentoring or you know just uh, just people that I'm you know just speaking with, um, there's no blueprint. You know, we haven't gone through something like that in most of our our lifetimes, um, especially dealing with that level of adversity through all of us. I mean, you know, globally, uh, not even just like her city or state or country. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, and listen, we've done a lot of introspective work and a lot of introspective thinking we brought consultants in it's easy now to play sort of armchair quarterback and be like well maybe we should have done this maybe we should have done that yep. but in the moment i'm not entirely sure it was a really muddy really challenging year and it's not just financial as you know as you know i mean the the election you know causes a a lot of chasms and a lot of emotions um, yep. black lives matter and what was happening you know from a societal you know, and racial perspective is, you know, it's, it's obviously existed since the beginning of time, yep. um, just really ignited even more so, um, you know, last year uh, and, and in the midst of us also being stuck, you know, at home and, and, and you know, being on, being on edge. Um, so I really don't know. Uh, you know, I, 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 I wish that I could have found a way to, one of the, one of the, I think that one of the hardest part of COVID, there's other things were going to happen 
um, and maybe not to the extent, but, but we've always been an in-house team uh, five days a week. And that's obviously going to change. It has changed uh, over the last year. Uh, but, you know, not being able to walk by somebody and just see how they're doing and take them for a cup of coffee and just kind of pat them on the back and give them some, some perspective yeah. on the world uh, was really, really hard. I think the office, um, it, it provided a connective tissue and, and culture for people. Um, and it, it, last year it turned everyone into free agents. Uh, everybody's kind of just looking for survival and looking at what's kind of important for them, whether it's work or whether it's like, you know, maintain their sanity or, you know, or whatever that might be. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I really don't know. And I ask that myself that question all the time. All I can do is continue to listen to people uh, from last year and this year, continue to make changes in terms of our, our hiring and our, our organizational structure and how we're managing things kind of going forward. Um, but, uh, but as I said, there was no blueprint and I'm not really sure. I think it'd be tough to, to, to really say how it had done something differently in that moment. Yeah, I think it was a learning experience, you know, for, for everybody, not only like the hybrid side of the house of how to deal with your whole family at home and the fact that the kids are now at home and how to do all that. And I think that the thing is going back to your words, you know, resiliency and patience. And, you know, I think that's a really important yeah. piece of it as well. But for me, it was also um, having reserves. I learned that in 2009 to make sure I always had reserves because I was very concerned about paying payroll and, and you know, benefits because now all of a sudden work wasn't there and that means money's not coming in. So it was definitely um, um, heartwarming. But yeah. I think as a team, I don't know about you, but the fact that we would do these Zooms every day, just a small, quick 15 minute catch up, I thought my team got tighter than ever before. And they really, they took the time to hear each other talk versus, you know, next meeting, next meeting. Yeah. Did you guys feel the same way? No. <laughs> no. How many people do you have? Uh, we now have 47. Okay, that's great. I mean, similar similar size. Um, no, and, and again, I mean, maybe... I don't, I don't, I don't know the, the the secret reasoning, and I've talked to a lot of different people about it. Obviously, there's Zoom fatigue, which I know a lot of them are dealing with. Yeah, and I also don't know the personality types. I mean, we have a lot of introverted people at the yes. know, our company, a lot of designers yeah. and technologists and such. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that that Zoom had a probably even more negative effect on maybe some of your, you know, staff, which I'm sort of assuming uh, with yeah. a lot of the people that I've met from your staff is. Yeah you know, have a slightly different personality and a little bit more extroverted um, and needs that uh, connection and such. And it used to being on, you know, phone calls all day where, you know, our team wasn't, uh, a lot of them weren't. So I think that the more Zoom just made it just too much and just more of a kind of an already a bad thing, including myself. And I actually love being around people, but I didn't like video conferencing before this. <laughs> so now I really don't like it. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously some of it, you know, I, I certainly as a CEO take, you know, full accountability right. as to, you know, what could I have done differently? Um, but I, I still don't really know because we really were trying to cater to everyone's kind of emotions. Um, and that, and that, that's hard as you know, running a business when you're trying to cater to, you're not going to make everyone satisfied where, um, and sometimes you just kind of accept that. And I think last year we really tried to make every individual satisfied. And that was a, that was a game of kind of chasing our tail that didn't, didn't didn't work. I don't think for for them individually or for probably the um, the collective group at large. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how it 
it would work for certain places and not for others and all too. And yeah. well, I think we got became tighter because of it. But still, I think there was always that apprehension, you know, what's next. And as a CEO, you know, you can't let them see like, I have no idea, right. you know, and right. I'm feeling the same way, but we're still going to lead the ship here kind of a deal, you know, so. It's interesting. So let me ask you, because um, you are a builder, a creator and all, what are you reading right now? It's a good question you ask. Uh, I'm not a big reader. Um, I, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, I like living more than reading. Uh, mm. I like experiencing more than, more than reading. Um, so I interact with people quite often. Um, it's a little harder in, in COVID times, but, um, you know, even after this, going out with a colleague that I've known and worked with for 15 years runs another company. Um, I really like learning from uh, other people, um, uh, whether they're quasi mentors, yep. uh, whether the people that run really large companies, small companies, people like a mentor, I just love getting perspectives. So I love living my life through um, sort of like with and through other people and gain mm -hmm. perspectives from them. Not saying I don't enjoy reading, but the other problem is because I guess being an entrepreneur and being creative sort, I have a hard time like just like focusing long enough to enjoy yep. a book. The only time I really can enjoy a book is like maybe on vacation and like a vacation, like in another country, which obviously none of us have been able to do lately. So, um, so I've started a lot of books, but I haven't finished too many of them, uh, of, 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 uh, of late. So, um, yeah, I don't really have, um, I don't really have one. I, I I'm, a, I'm, I'm big into movies. Um, and I did see one recently that I can recommend. It's, uh, it's actually local, uh, as well. Um, it's called concrete cowboy. Uh, and it was actually by a local director as well um, uh, about an urban sort of uh, um, horseback riding uh, group and, and sort of stables here um, in Kensington. Uh, and so that was super cool on a lot of fronts. Um, number one, I had worked with the director uh, in the past for something we had done for Forge, and he's now gone out to L.A. and now uh, developed this. Um, but it's also something that's, you know, it's it's sort of near and dear to Philadelphia, which is cool, the, the film. And it's, a, it's actually a really, really good film. So I'd recommend that for you know a lot of reasons. One, just on its own, it's good. But if you have some, you know, interest of a kind of Philadelphia sort of uh, history and a unique slice of history, I think that's a great one as well. So, oh, I love it. I love it. And then I always ask the question: What's your favorite app on your phone right now? My favorite app on my phone right now. Hmm. You know, honestly, I mean nothing real exciting to share. I mean, it, you know, Spotify is my favorite app on my phone right now. I mean, just because it, it gives me a release. Uh, it's something that I can just kind of zone out. I do work when I listen to music, when I go running, I listen to music and I probably um, ingested a lot more music over the last year than I ever have in the past. Um, you know, but I, like I said, I'm the kind of person that just like lives life. I don't spend a lot of time gaming. I don't, you know, spend a lot of time kind of messing around with kind of new things too much um, uh, or digging in too deep. I think that's the other difference. You said the difference between my, myself, and my business partner. I'm more of a stick and move kind of um, uh, person. Like I want to know, here's an idea. Let's get involved. Let's get it going. And let's kind of like build the team. And then let me move on to something new. My business partner really likes to get into the weeds, really likes to get into the details. Um, so it, it's probably also, you know, to these questions about reading and, and kind of trying new apps, like I, I more like to, I think as a CEO as well, I like to absorb a lot of things and know mm -hmm. a lot of information, but I'm really, I'm almost like a generalist. I remember I had a, uh, I had a friend in, uh, growing up and he used to say, Keith, you're really good at a lot of sports, but you're not great at one sport. 
<laughs> and it, you know, it's honestly true. It's almost like how I live my life. I, I yeah. probably think that I'm I'm good at a lot of things, but um, but I don't know if there's one thing that I'm like unbelievably great at. And and so and I'm you know I'm okay with that. But doesn't that classify a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, we love doing new things, trying new things, we're curious. We always want to find out why does that work and why can't we do it differently? I mean, that's what makes it so much fun. Uh, for other people, it's like painful, you know, and but you already sort of answered this question. But how do you take care of you? Um, great question. In a variety of ways. Uh, I go to therapy. Um, so that's one that I've kind of gone back and forth over most of my adult life, actually, just start with a new therapist again. I think that's a really, really big deal. Um, as I said, I've got, uh, I mean, I have a great support system with wife and family and, and friends. Um, that, that's a big deal. Um, I do like going out with people or just kind of talking to people because it, it, it gets me focused on them and less kind of in my head of what's going on, you yep. know, with my, with my business. It also allows me to kind of freely, you know, vent or kind of talk through some challenges and such. I think that's a, I think that's a big deal. Um, I do some journaling, uh, not as much as I would like, but I used to do quite a bit of it and I do some I do some journaling, um, and then I would say I would say movies. As I said, I love watching movies and sports. Um, either either working out. Um, I mean, I, I'm big into uh, uh, running and tennis in particular. Uh, played tennis most of my life, um, or just kind of watching uh, sports. It's one of the few things that can kind of just get me to shut my brain off and just kind of really sort of just get involved and enjoy it. I mean, unless I'm following. Philadelphia teams, which I'm unfortunately a fan, and I don't know how much they often allow me to enjoy um, <laughs> watching them. They sometimes bring more anguish and anxiety. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's a lot of things. Oh, oh, and um, I'd say cooking, I, and especially during COVID, I I love to cook. I, I've always been really, really, really into cooking, and it's very cathartic uh, for me. People hate shopping. I love shopping. I like preparing. I like kind of like owning the whole meal, uh, and that's really put on some music and. Just maybe have a glass of wine and, and make uh, make something, um, especially if I'm like hosting either just for my wife or family or some friends. I mean, I, I love doing that. It's I like making sort of other people happy or having them, I like taking them through experiences. And that's one of those examples of being able to take them through a, you know, a good sort of culinary experience. So, well, I'm looking forward to that invitation to dinner because I love <laughs> people make me dinner, even though I love cooking and I've learned with ear pods in your ear they hear every chop you make. Um, so my team always laughs at me like, what are you making for dinner tonight? And um, because that's when I talk to them a lot of times, you know, but I oh, listen to them intently because I just need to do all my chopping. So we have a, works, we right? have a uh, taco cooking class tomorrow. Um, I'm not leading it, uh, but uh, we do have this, um, we do have this uh, startup that actually started in Philadelphia called Seshi. And they, I, I think that they kind of specialize in virtual events um, and, so we have our first one tomorrow through Seshi, and they're making, uh, uh, I think, um, shrimp tacos or portobello uh, tacos for, for the vegans of the group. So that'll be a fun, you know, fun thing to kind of get together and do. Oh, that's so funny. We, we're working with uh, Chul Street Caterers um, um, this week, and we're having dinner sent to all of my team members. And Great. Chef is helping us make um, paella. Um, oh, so nice. We're very excited about that. Yeah, that's absolutely. Awesome. How can people get a hold of you and your company? Sure. Uh, always happy for people to reach out to me directly, which is just email Keith at O3World.com <laughs> uh, or just the, the website uh, O3World.com um, or on LinkedIn. Uh, any of those are, you know, pretty active on LinkedIn and obviously my email always kind of have in my pocket. So uh, they're probably the best ways to reach out to me. 
Great. Well, Keith, I so appreciate the time, the guidance, the golden nuggets that you share with us today and all too. Um, and everybody out there, I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you, comments, ideas, thoughts, by all means, reach out to Keith. Um, he's got an amazing website out there too. And he's just wealth of information. As you can tell, he's a builder and a creator and loves helping other entrepreneurs. So with that, I'm going to let everybody go. I'm Marcia O'Connor. Again, this is top three entrepreneur sharing secrets and we'll catch you soon.